Hello, everyone. Um, good to see some of you here in the sanctuary, and uh, good to worship with you all through the live stream. So today's sermon, um, I thought about perhaps uh, picking some other passages, um, just like Pastor Jung and Pastor Thomas did recently, uh, addressing the current issues such as the pandemic or the, the racial injustices. But I decided to... Um, continue on with uh, the book of Philippians today. Uh, my conviction was that um, God always has something to say to us, uh, no matter which text, that he speaks to us addressing uh, things here and now. And I believe that that's what he does through today's passage in uh, Philippians, um, that he addresses what we need to hear. So it is a word of God and I hope that you are helped by it today as we study together. And uh, before I move on, I also want to say that I'm thankful uh, for, um, you know, teaming up with uh, Pastor Thomas and Pastor Jong uh, during this time because now I have the luxury, as you can see, um, of um, picking different passages and, you know, being able to tackle different topics together. Uh, so it's a good teamwork and I want to count my blessings in that. Um, so, with all that said, let's um, go into today's passage. Again, it's found in uh, the book of Philippians that I've been, uh, have been preaching from the uh, past couple of months. Uh, today's passage is found in chapter 1, uh, verses <clears throat> 12 through 18. Uh, Philippians 1, uh, 12 through 18. Let me read for us, and we'll pray, and we'll go into the the passage together. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And the most most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we turn to you, Lord, um, to your word, trusting that you indeed have something relevant, something important, something that's best for us to hear in your word. So God, we're coming here together, uh, whether physically or virtually, uh, really hoping to hear from you, uh, your word that will guide us, that will heal us, that will press us on in our journey. So uh, do that. Do just that for us, God, during this time. 
um, help us to heed your word and, and love you more through this time. Be with me as I deliver your word. Help me to be clear. Help me to uh, simply preach for the, the audience of one, which is you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me ask you a quick question uh, before I start, which is, uh, what is your priority in life? Uh, like, what is something that is on the top of your mind, something that drives your plan and your decisions? And if you're a Christian hearing this, maybe your automatic an- answer is like, Jesus is my priority. This, that's the right answer. Um, but just know, really being real, like what is your priority in life? Perhaps for some of us, you know, it's your job, career, could be um, school, family, could be your, you know, relationships or health. And I think these are all reasonable priorities as human beings. But from today's passage, I would like to communicate that when the advancements of the gospel is our priority, that will radically change everything that we do in every circumstances of our lives. And that's what we're going to study and see in this passage. Uh, I have three points for you. Uh, One, first point is the, the gospel advances through difficult circumstances. Second, the gospel advances through human failures. And third, the gospel advances through personal hurts. First, the gospel advances through difficult circumstances. Verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a quick recap, Paul is currently in prison in Rome, uh, awaiting a trial that would decide whether he's going to live or die. And uh, the Philippians, the, the, the people of the church in Philippi, uh, which is modern Greece, they cared about Paul as their missionary. And when they heard that he was in jail, uh, they were devastated, obviously, and, and they assumed that he was doing terribly. I mean, he's in jail. Besides, you know, when they heard that Paul was put in prison, they despaired of the prospect of their new religion, Christianity, because they put the best guy in the new movement, Paul, the, new, the, the, the main leader of the movement. So they're asking, what hope is there for the gospel? Did we sign up for something wrong here? But in the verse we just read, Paul is basically telling them that I'm actually doing fine. And guess what? The gospel is actually doing more than fine. And he says his imprisonment actually helped the cause of the gospel. It actually helped the gospel advance further. So how can this be? So Paul gives two examples to prove that assertion uh, in the next two verses. First, the gospel reached the, the elite unbelievers. And second example, his imprisonment emboldened believers. So first, the gospel reached the elite unbelievers. Verse 13, he says, so that it has become known 
throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is, is, is for Christ. So there the, the word Imperial Guard refers to the Roman Emperor's personal bodyguards who also had the duty of guarding people like Paul who had appealed to Caesar um, you know, directly for his case as a Roman citizen. So apparently, instead of you know, being sullen and bitter, Paul in prison, he stayed faithful in his character, in his witness to the gospel. So he you know, might have been talking to the, the, the guards who were on duty for him about the gospel, and he also probably, probably displayed his character of you know, being, having integrity and also having peace and joy in Christ, even while he's being locked up in prison. And, and these guards must have talked about, talked about Paul among themselves and marveling about this guy. You know, and, and, and they realized that they're, uh, he's not in jail because of real crime, but because of his you know, un, unwavering faith in Christ. So the, the gospel was exposed to these guards. And in the verse, Paul also says that the gospel reached all the rest, uh, meaning others in the palace than the guards. So if you jump over to Philippians 4.22, you know, we get a clue of who these people might be. Uh, there it says, you know, saints or believers who are of Caesar's household. And the word household can, of course, mean uh, family, but here I think it means government. So what it means is that through Paul's interactions with the people in the palace, the gospel, gospel even reached the, the Caesar's personal government officials uh, in the palace, and the, some of them became believers. So in other words, because, not despite, because Paul was in prison at the time in Rome, the gospel now reached the, the elite high class of this Roman Empire, which was the global superpower at the time. And, and second example, Paul also says his imprisonment emboldened believers for the gospel. Verse 14, he says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So at that time, you know, persecution against Christians was on the rise. So it's understandable that some of these Christians in Rome were trying to be careful so that they don't get caught and, you know, be obliterated. Uh, but when they saw the courage of Paul in prison, something must have sparked in their hearts. So these Christians are now saying, hey, now I don't care about whether I die or not. I'd rather die for the gospel. I want to boldly proclaim the good news to my unbelieving neighbors. I think what happened to them was similar to what happens to me often when I read um, some of the email updates from missionaries around the world. And when I read, like, some of them literally risking their lives um, to save souls, I ask myself, man, what am I doing in my life? My life is so comfortable. These people are, like, literally dying to save other people for the gospel. Like, what am I doing? 
So something just pricks in my heart when that happens. So likewise, Paul's courage, instead of devastating the believers there, it actually emboldened the Roman Christians for the gospel. So again, Paul is making his point here. His imprisonment was indeed a very good news, actually, for the gospel. First, the, the niche of the high-class people in Roman Empire was reached, and, and now also there is revival among the believers in Rome because of his being in jail. And now, to understand this, interestingly, Paul later says in uh, verse 16 that he is put here in jail. The, the New Living Translation translates it a little differently. I have been appointed to be in jail. What that means is this. Paul being in prison was not an accident or a happenstance. It means that God put Paul in prison on purpose for the sake of the gospel. So the pastor and author Sam Storms says about it, saying, this is a divine setup, not a setback for the gospel. Because God is sovereign over evil, he is able to use evil, unjust things like this imprisonment for his purposes. So he appoints his people in rather difficult circumstances so that his gospel could advance and save people from hell in the particular places of the world. And the best example of this is found in the story of Joseph in Genesis, right? You know, he was a victim of human trafficking by his own brothers. And he was sold to Egypt as a slave, but God used that human evil for good. And Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt so that the, the most powerful country in the world at the time, Egypt, could know about God and his power, and they had the chance to turn to God for their salvation. So that's what the text is saying. And now, the examples of Paul and Joseph, I think, should make us pause a little bit and perhaps think about our situations too, any difficult circumstances that we might be in. You know, as we speak, some of us might be in the thick of relational, physical, or emotional struggles, and you have this pain in your heart, whatever that might, that might be. And, and, and I do not want to be ins, uh, insensitive when I, when I say this, because I think when you're suffering, the last thing you want to hear is a platitude telling you, hey, God has a purpose. You know, he's going to use it for, your, for his glory. I think sometimes that can do more harm than good. Um, so what I want to encourage you to do is you take this text as it is, which is the very word of God for you, not coming from me necessarily who don't have the, the full knowledge of your pain, but God is speaking directly to you about your situation, that God who is infinitely good and who loves you like no other is telling you that he put you in your current circumstance on purpose so that through your suffering, lost souls could experience heaven 
or believers, fellow believers could be emboldened in their faith. And in fact, he knows how hard it is for you to endure right now because the scripture says Jesus himself endured human evil and experienced pain. So he knows. So I believe God is, you know, empathetically encouraging us to endure, persevere, and use whatever opportunity you have for the gospel right now. And and I think this also um, pushes us as a church to apply this. I think the question that we can ask as a church uh, in light of what Paul is saying here is, what does God want CLC to do for the gospel through the current situation that God has appointed us to? I think the current situations might be, you know, the pandemic, the racial injustices, etc. Any hardships that we are seeing right or experiencing right now, what are the opportunities that we have as a church for the gospel using this as a chance and opportunity? So the gospel advances through uh, difficult circumstances. Second, the gospel advances through human failures. Verse 15, it says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, and others from goodwill. So we saw, we just saw that the Christians in Rome were spurred on by Paul to be more bold and, you know, become more fearless in their uh, sharing of the gospel. That's a good thing. But apparently, not every one of them had the right motive. Paul says here that some had goodwill towards Paul and others when they do ministry, while some other people have envy and rivalry with Paul. But just in a moment, you know, we will come back to the details of uh, what might have happened between Paul and you know, these people. But for now, we can conclude three things from what we just read. First, this hostile group of people was preaching the gospel. They are not heretics. They are preaching the gospel. Verse 14, Paul called these people brothers, meaning they had the genuine faith in the Lord. And, and from verse 15 to 18, Paul keeps repeating that these people proclaimed or preached the gospel, or, or Christ, rather. What that means is that regardless of their motive, the content of their preaching was right, that they explained the, the sin of humanity and their absolute need to trust in Christ's work on the cross for salvation. So they got that right. So they, again, they're not heretics. But second, these people really had bad motives. You know, the words there, envy and rivalry, you know, may not sound all that serious, uh, but the same Greek words appear uh, in the list of vices in the New Testament. In one of the lists in Galatians 5, uh, Paul says, those who do such things, like envy and rivalry, uh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what that means is these are the traits of people who, um, if they continue on in these behaviors and 
uh, characters uh, persistently without repentance, then they could end up in hell, um, even if they declare themselves to be Christians. So these are some serious um, mistakes they're making here. And, and But conclusion, third, but despite their bad motives, Paul is saying that the gospel was still advancing through their ministry. So verse 18, it says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. You see that? While Paul is not condoning their motives, Paul is stating the fact that the gospel is still spreading through their unclean lips. So what it means is that God is sovereign. The gospel is powerful enough to overcome any imperfect, impure motives of the preachers and still bear fruits for the gospel. And again here, don't, don't hear me say that the, the, the motives don't matter in doing ministry or proclaiming the gospel. In fact, later in books of Titus and 1 Timothy, Paul lays out rather high moral standards for pastors and preachers. So motives matter. Paul might have rebuked them in person. But rather, what he's trying to say here is that it is God, regardless of the character of the preacher, it is God who ultimately accomplishes his will through his word. It is God, not the preacher, who bears fruit. I think the best example of this principle is uh, Jonah. Uh, it's a very short book, uh, Book of Jonah, uh, and yet I find it a, a bit comical book and, and very dynamic, the way story, the, the story goes. Uh, there, Jonah is a very, if you know the story, a very grumpy and unwilling prophet. And, and when God commissions him to preach his message to the city of Nineveh, he first runs away, and then he gets eaten by a giant fish, and then the fish spits him out, and then he repents and he comes back. And then, when he finally delivers his, his message, here's what he basically says. He, he basically says, Ninevites, you guys are doomed. And Mike drops. He just, he just leaves the scene. That's all he preached. But then, to his surprise and even anger, what happens after his message is that there was a national revival in Nineveh. And people repent, and it says even the, the king even uh, ordered animals to fast. <laughs> I don't know why he did that, but there was a national revival, and, and, and in the end, God, even though he announced that he's going to punish them, he relents from punishing them. You see the point. The word of God can advance even through unwilling, immoral people because the power is in the gospel, not in the preachers. I think this truth must humble us, first of all, meaning the harsh truth that I had to remind myself over and over, even before I preach. And for some of you whose 
I don't know, serving in different functions to minister to other people. The harsh truth is that God does not need me. He does not need me for the gospel. He can use anyone for this task. And in fact, if you go to Old Testament, God even used a donkey to deliver his message. He doesn't need any of us. He can accomplish his will through anybody. But if God chooses to use any of us, whether as a pastor, whether as a Bible study leader, whether as a friend and co-worker sharing the gospel, it is an incredible privilege that God is using you when he doesn't have to. And also, I think this truth is encouraging too, not only humbling but encouraging because if you really believe that it is God who does the work, who finishes the work, who bears fruit through his word, and it's not dependent on my power, then the result is that we can be free from perhaps our insecurity and be free to shamelessly spread the seed of the gospel around us. Let me give you an example personally. Uh, recently, my prayer, uh, genuine prayer, has been that I reach uh, my literal neighbors in my neighborhood. We have some wonderful people in my neighborhood. And uh, I got to know some of them. And, and uh, I wanted to just build a relationship with them and eventually share the gospel with them. Uh, that's, that's my prayer. But to be really honest, the problem for me has been that I get so nervous you know, when I have to talk to them. And one example, um, I was text, texting uh, my next-door neighbor about something, and, uh, and while I was texting, I was like, I, I, I would run over to that, like, hey, do you think I should get rid of this period here and then, you know, replace it with the exclamation point? What do you think about that? It's like, these are just, like, one of the examples that I, that I have about, like, how nervous I get. And I, I thought about why I'm, I'm like this when I talk to the neighbors. And I think it's because deep down, I have a standard for myself, which is, it's ridiculous, but I think my standard is that I have to be a cool Christian. That I have to prove that I'm not those crazy Christians they might see on TV. I'm cool, I'm relatable Christian. And so you can talk to me and I'll share this truth about the gospel. I think I have that. That's, that's my logic in my head. But, and, yeah, to be sure, I think there's some elements in my logic that could be redeemable, but right there, I'm getting the gospel wrong, right? Because I subconsciously think that it's my skill set that can save people when, in, in truth, it is God that saves people through his word. And my application would be then, I can be free. I can be who I am in Christ and just shamelessly interact with them without being nervous. Gospel advances through um, human failures. Third and last, the gospel advances through personal hurts. Verses 16 and 17, Paul says this. The latter, um, those who preach out of goodwill, do it out of love, knowing that 
I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former, those the, the hostile people uh, to Paul, proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So going back to the dynamic between Paul and, and this group of people who are hostile towards Paul, the main issue seems to be personal jealousy. That is, the, the text keeps saying that these people have envy and sense of rivalry with Paul. So possibly they are jealous of Paul uh, for having fame of being a missionary and you know, church planter in early Christianity. So they perhaps attempt to bring Paul down in their messages. Like one example could be that they're using Paul's criminal status against him, saying like, hey, how can you respect and support this guy who's in jail? How can you do that? Maybe God doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have God's favor. Maybe that's why he's in jail. Or they might be mocking him, saying that, you know, he has a speech deficiency. That's what 1 Corinthians says. So they're mocking him for, you know, his insecurity, perhaps. I mean, it could be anything. You know, the text doesn't say what exactly these guys did to Paul. But what's clear is that they were trying to elevate themselves by bringing Paul down. And before we move on, can we just put ourselves in Paul's shoe for a second? Just think about it. You are in jail right now, awaiting a sentence that could kill you. The real possibility. So it's already a dire situation. You're already discouraged. But then you hear that uh, this Christian brothers and sisters who should be encouraging you are in fact attacking you and mocking you outside of the jail. I mean, again, if you really think about that as your situation, you might be angry and sad and distressed. But surprisingly, it says Paul responded to them with joy. Verse 18. Again, it says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So Paul is saying, even though these guys are hurting him, they are still proclaiming the right content of the gospel, and as a result, the gospel is advancing around the world, so therefore, he can be joyful. That's what he's saying. And now the temptation there could be, that's Paul. He's the superhuman apostle. He can take the insults and he can, you know, be joyful in light of these things. But let me remind you here, um, we do not want to put Paul on a pedestal because if you read through the New Testament, he has emotion. He is just as human as we are. And even later in this book of Philippians, Paul talks about sorrow and anxiety about losing somebody in death. And if you jump over to 2 Timothy, Paul lists all the people that had abandoned him in his ministry. So there's a good possibility here that these hostile preachers were really deeply hurting Paul 
in the situation. So it wasn't easy for him to just get over these personal hurts. But what I can tell is he processed this through the word and through reminder, perhaps over and over, that it's not about him. That gospel is the priority. And through that process, he was able to get over and forgive these guys and finally reached over to even being joyful for them. Again, perhaps here's a reminder. Mantra, if you will, could have been, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's all about the gospel. My life is about the gospel. And, and his choice to do that surely had some consequences, right? Because if, if he just acted, you know, normally, naturally, and attacked back these guys, saying maybe, do you, you, guys, you think you, you guys are better than me? I'm better than you. I have, my version of the gospel is better than yours. I'm the apostle, after all. If we did that, the consequence might have been that there would have been division in the church and the, the united efforts for the gospel and evangelism might have tanked. But because Paul chose to get over the personal hurts, um, he was able to secure the unity and the fruit of the gospel. I remember reading Pastor John Piper's tribute to uh, this renowned theologian named uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, who had just passed away at the time. And one thing that Piper said about him caught my attention. Apparently, you know, uh, these two renowned preachers were preaching one after another at a Christian conference, and Sproul uh, preached first. And apparently in his sermon, he used a chair as an illustration, saying that, you know, faith is not just uh, trusting the chair, but actually sitting on it. And then Piper preached right after him, but apparently contradicting him by saying that faith is not just uh, trusting and sitting on it, but loving the chair. Well, don't worry about the illustration, okay? I mean, you have to listen to the sermons, obviously, to understand the whole extent. But the point is, just think about it. R.C. Sproul could have felt humiliated, right, in front of thousands of people at the conference. This is the Dr. Arsis Sproul, right? But Piper recounts later uh, with affection and respect how um, Arsis Sproul, after Piper's sermon, he came up to him tenderly and whispered some words of affirmation. And now that's some adorable bromance moment, you know? It's, 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 it's awesome. Love it. But this is exactly what we see in Paul and all the mature believers in Christ. For both Paul and Sproul, you know, they could have, again, reacted harshly, but they chose to see the gospel as a priority. The advancement of the gospel is the, the number one priority in their lives. Therefore, they could get over some petty emotion and contribute to 
evangelism and the word. And now, I think this principle is very applicable, I think, for us in this day and age. Because, for sure, I'm thankful for all the conversations that are happening, especially on social media, about some important issues such as you know, pandemic and racial injustices. And, and I really think and hope that these conversations can lead to some lasting change um, in terms of the policy and the culture of this struggling nation. But it saddens me, though, when I see believers squabbling and debating over these policies in a way that is unedifying. I, I, I often read, you know, lots of people taking things so personally and responding back without processing the hurt and anger. And, and when I read through co uh, conversations, sometimes what I, what I ask about that is, if a unbeliever, if the world is reading through these conversations, will they be attracted to the gospel or will they be repelled by it? And, and sadly, a lot of times the answer to that question is the latter. I think a lot of people are repelled by it. And I think there's some serious division in the church right now. And there might be some lasting consequence of that in the long run. And, and now I want to clarify here, though. This does not mean that you don't speak up, right? Um, it, it does not mean, whether it's on social media or I think of, you know, small group setting or even the discussion that we'll be having about racial injustice after the service. I think we need godly voices being raised up to fight for what's right. But what it does mean is that before we speak, there has to be a question. Like what I'm about to say here, like especially in light of insults or things that I think is ridiculous, like will that help the gospel or will that destroy? Uh, distract people from the gospel. There has to be question like that before we speak so that the gospel can spread and the reason is because for you, the gospel is a priority, not yourself. So in all of this, I just really pray for, for myself, for our church, for everyone in my life, that, that we really put the gospel as a priority, as if we are athletes running for the goal, and we do not let the distractions get in the way of the goal. And when we do that, from the passage, what's going to happen is we are going to change the way we see difficult circumstances and difficult people differently. And it will also change our hearts to be humble and yet bold for the gospel. And when that, happened, when that happens, the church can truly shine in this world. And, and lastly, if you are joining us today, uh, perhaps through the live stream, as an unbeliever, you know, we welcome you. And my hope and prayer is that you also experience this power that changed 
that changes you for, for the better, that, that you experience this hope and purpose that the gospel can give that Paul is talking about. Let's pray together. Before we close in, uh, in the last song, uh, let's spend some time um, going back to what the Word of God says. That He's sovereign over any difficult circumstances that you are in right now. That is Word is sovereign and powerful to advance despite, in fact, using your weakness. And that the gospel advances even through some personal hurts that we experience and how we respond to it. So can we just meditate on that for a little bit? Asking God to help us to understand and um, be grounded in this truth of his word. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. In response to the text and the sermon that we just heard, the word of God that is, has been spoken to us, let's pray for the advancement of the gospel through the arenas that we can touch people that we're around to pray that no matter what circumstances or hardships that we might be going through that the gospel would move forward through us sometimes despite of us let's pray for our families our workplaces oh how's the gospel going to advance i'm not even talking to them as much let's pray for our neighborhoods pray for our campus. Let's pray for our church, our small groups. Let's pray for our city. Let's pray the gospel would go forth. And, uh, uh, knowing that even when we go through challenging times, God gives us his promise, I am with you. And that promise is sufficient for us. And we can overcome all things and uh, be steadfast in his faithfulness to us and continue to seek after the advancement of the gospel. So let's pray together for that before we close our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we can come and sit under the teaching of your word. We thank you that you strengthen us through the power that is in the word of God. We thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. That when we fear, when we doubt, your promises are sure. we thank you for that assurance that no matter what circumstances no matter how we feel no matter what the outlook looks like to to us from our perspective that you are moving forward to advance the gospel to bring people to salvation to exalt the name of jesus christ and in all circumstances it is our desire that we would be a part of your kingdom plan that we would fit into what you are doing even when we're high when we're low 
when we have, when we lack, we want to be used by you. So thank you, Lord, that you are with us, whether we're out and about or whether we're in a prison cell in all circumstances. You are good, you are faithful, and you are at work. Use us even this time, in this time, through our prayers, through our clinging on to you, move in people's hearts, and uh, may our pain, may our personal struggles, may our pain be the, the seeds that are sown that would bear fruit in other people's lives. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and assurance that we have in your word. Strengthen your people with your word that is true. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible unchanging love of the Father God and the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and forever.